Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Garskaden coming to you live today on what is also in this day in history a remembrance of the bombings on Pearl Harbor in 1941, Um, but then also a day for us to be thankful um, that the Lord gave us leaders who were prepared um, for such events and for those who made the ultimate sacrifice of laying down their lives to give us the freedoms we have today. And even though there are challenges that we see right here before us, uh, we are honored for those who have given that sacrifice. But remember uh, what the Lord has called us to do as ambassadors for his kingdom, and even as Jesus would have told his disciples through their prayer, uh, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And today we want to look at uh, establishing those covenant or a covenant gathering wherever the Lord may call us. Um, start can start with yourself, can start with your family, etc. Joining in with local uh, body of Christ wherever you may be. And, and I want to uh, go through this and, and pray about this today and bring this up is because we went through the dethroning the thrones of iniquity prayers for a little over more than 40 days and yes you want to you know pluck up jeremiah talks us that but you also want to replant so in that replanting uh, we want to look at what the lord calls us to do and we see that in isaiah 56 verses uh six through eight very just very simply of what the Lord is is showing Isaiah here. And I'm going to pull that up here and, and read through this to show what the Lord showed Isaiah. And starting with, it says, Also the foreigners who joined, who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples the lord god who gathers the dispersed of israel declares yet others i will gather to them to those already gathered and and the key portion and purpose of this is is to understand the when we read uh on monday the portion of the prophetic experience that daniel had in daniel 7 of the ancient of days, you know, taking his seat on the throne, and then establishing Christ, the Son of Man, on the, um, on his throne to rule forever and reign after, um, dethroning the thrones of iniquity, through his death, and ultimately going back, and we want to look at at this portion here is understanding the heart of God is the formed covenants with all peoples, not just ultimately all peoples on the face of the earth 
and establish a house of prayer for each one, including those in our cities and our places where we may be. And this is uh, building on other prophecies that Chuck and Dutch and, and, and others um, throughout the body of Christ have had uh, of the importance of establishing the community, a covenant gathering body of prayer warriors, not just online, but more so physically in certain areas. And so today we just want to pray for that, for those covenant gatherings to be established. If they're not, um, if you're looking for some, I know through COVID, a lot of things have happened and, and we're still seeing, and maybe in the days ahead, we will see more of it, of people realizing, hey, this is not where the Lord has me. And so we just want to start praying for those those covenant gatherings to start establishing themselves um, in just simple, maybe it's just a simple prayer gathering. Start there and, and then build on it from there. And, and, and the Lord can work mysterious things out in gathering people and places and of the body of Christ that you may not have known um, in certain areas. And so we just want to Yes, now we've we've dealt with plucking up. We want to replant something here and follow the biblical principles um, along our journey of praying for this nation and the office of the president. Okay. Today, we want to follow some stories we've been following, talk a little bit about the Georgia Senate race, um, go somewhat high level into the um, case before the Supreme Court today in Moore v. Harper. Uh, that has really has some specific uh, ramifications for me here, uh, for us here in North Carolina, and also for the rest of the nation. And then get into the next release and findings uh, coming out of the Twitter files. So first, we want to start off uh, in dealing with some news here domestically, but it involves things in China and elsewhere as well. So on what was it Sunday, December fourth, CNN released a report. Um, surprisingly, it's actually a very, very good report, uh, and more of it exposing, that China has been found to be operating over 100 police stations across the world. Now, you may have heard about these, you may not have. Some people understood it to be, you know, a couple here and there, maybe it was only with the companies they've actually made economic ties and, and relationships with. No, it's everywhere. Um, they're doing this, and so... There was a hundred that was known as of December fourth, uh, and this was being found by a group out of Madrid, Spain, called uh, Safeguard Defenders. And in December, they had found they knew of up the fifty-four stations, and then since then they were able to find forty-eight more, and now they found, um, and this is being reported by the Jerusalem Post, that there are upwards of a hundred and ten of these stations around the world, um, not just in Asia, in Europe, and some even in the United States, uh, I think specifically New York. And so the problem here is, is that you have foreign entities operating on not only our foreign soil, <laughs> but that um, they're operating elsewhere as well. And in some nations it was known because of some economic ties, and because of those economic ties and contracts that they have, they gave up certain rights to certain regions to allow the Chinese police force to be able to rule and control those regions and basically have Chinese law dictate uh, the rule of the land there, which is quite alarming. Uh, and so we just want to pray for our 
leaders to, if they're not aware of this, become aware of this and, and to really understand the warning that is China and the, the problems and how they're operating. Because, okay, yes, we see the COVID policies in China specifically and how problematic they are, but now it's not, okay, they're not only trying to influence our leaders to go more in line with the communist governmental role, the social credit system, uh, controlling the banking system, uh, and everything that they do, as you're seeing coming out of China, even with all the backlash. But it's, hey, we, we see this, and we, we want to put a stop to this. this, is what we want to pray for, and just pray that they come aware um, and awakened on this issue to be able to allow freedoms to come into place. And, and again, I'm going to stay on this because this leads until... Um, 2026 that's the that's the thing to stay focused on in regards to what the lord has given us warnings about of if we don't deal with this in 2026 china could possibly have its systems implemented elsewhere and more so specifically in the united states um so we're seeing that play out there and then also uh something we want to pray for again for the peace of jerusalem is that um, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, again last week, came out and said that the U.S. needs to work with Israel to support a two-state solution. So they're ba basically with the new government coming into power with Benjamin Netanyahu, and all intents and purposes looks like they've come to an agreement and will form their government and he'll sit on being prime minister and, and the coalition and in the Knesset will, will go together. He, he, our administration is going for this. This is national security-wise for both the United States and Israel a bad policy. There are a lot of those within both the Republican and Democratic Party who think that this will happen. In reality, it will never happen because Israel has given into this before, Netanyahu and others, and because the stance from the Palestinians and the Islamic world is, and, and the older regimes, is that there must always be a state for the Palestinians, a made-up group of people, a group, name of people, and to have a controlling interest in Israel. In reality, they want to wipe off Israel and the Israeli people, Jewish people, off the face of the earth. And then they want to wipe us out. Israel's the little Satan, we're the great Satan. So the the it's interesting to see they hold to this, both Republicans and Democrats, in our administration. But in reality, is it will never come about because they've even when given the opportunity throughout history several times, um, they've balked at it. The the Arabs in Palestinians more so in this instance because they don't want. Um, a two-state solution. They want a one. They want a one-state solution. Um, so, it's kind of a disingenuous stance to take from this administration. You know, the peace in the Middle East whole claim thing from um, the Clinton and Bush eras of the presidency to try to have that come about. And every president wants to try that, but ultimately, only the Lord can bring about that. So. We want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and, and, and pray for this administration to hopefully not force, and I don't think Netanyahu will give into that, but uh, not force a um, two-state solution into some of these negotiations. All right, now moving on domestically. 
So I mentioned briefly, there is a Golden Court case going before the Supreme Court. It is Moore v. Harper. Um, what we know is that the Supreme Court will start hearing this case around 10, 30, 11 today. And what this case deals with is this kind of a, a long-standing battle going on here in North Carolina since before I moved here where the courts have been getting involved in the redistricting um, through some cases that have, have come up and trying to say that, well, um, it's racist how these districts have been drawn. And the court is basically, the state Supreme Court here in North Carolina jumped in in the this last, before this last election cycle in saying that, well, because we feel like the congressional maps were decided based upon racial gender mar- gender gerrymandering excuse me that we now say that the state supreme the state constitution and the US constitution is null and void because we say so not on any findings not on any any legal reasonings just because they want to interpret it in certain ways and so now they want to decide this so this case is going before the supreme court Moore v Harper will be decided and it challenges the fa- fundamental uh, original intent of how the founders intended for the judicial branch and the legislative branch and the executive branch to work together, of how the judicial branch was meant to basically prevent encroachment of the natural laws founded in the U.S. and even in instances of the state constitution. And what what's interesting is that these maps were put forward by a state legislature even – overcoming a Democratic governor here in North Carolina, Roy Cooper's uh, veto to this because they had enough votes to overturn the veto. They, they did everything within the power. They followed the state constitution, and yet they still got the map through. And then at the last minute, the um, four Democratic judges here on the state Supreme Court who were in office, who are no longer in office, got involved. Um, and from the original case, kind of taking a step back, of looking at the original findings back in August is um, the American conservative puts out, he says a precedent has just been set in North Carolina that if the courts find enough racism or political tampering in the creation of legislative districts, which may or may not be true, the court may have the ability to void constitutional amendments passed by that legislature. You understand constitutional amendments. The court can say, yeah, we don't like that one. So whoopsie doo. Um, conservative have been dismayed for decades that the courts either strike down conservative statutes by claiming they're unconstitutional, interpret constitutional provisions in ridiculous ways to achieve policy ends, but in those cases, the courts are at least paying lip service to the fact that their higher authority is their, is their constitution. Something different has happened here. The court has actually managed to say that in certain circumstances, it may throw out portions of the constitution if those portions were passed by enough legislatures the court deems illegitimate and this goes back to whether the certain maps were legal or illegal and then based upon how the court feels that day and how they interpret it um how things came about that they can pause and interpret things to be how they deem it basically picking and choosing and this is very very problematic and so we're seeing concerns of this now from north carolina 
state governor, um, attorney general are saying that the challengers uh, or they who are the challengers caution that the ruling for the legislatures would wreak havoc on election administration nationwide. And this is the big Democratic ploy to say why they need to vote in favor of the judges, in this case, of limiting the state legislatures, which is just uh, utterly egregious. Um, continuing to go on saying that elections are complicated to organize and run. They stress, and as a, a result, states like North Carolina delegate the authority to set the rules for federal elections to election officials. But if the legislatures prevail, they suggest the legislature would have to make all election rules on topics ranging from location of polling places to polling hours in an emergency. The legislature's theory also raises the possibility that if a state court invalidates an election law as a violation of the state constitution, that decision would apply only to state elections. But not to federal elections. As a result, North Carolina and the challengers poison. Election officials may conclude that their only choice is to conduct two separate elections using the two different sets of rules. That is not the case. That is a, a, a straw man's argument trying to say, well, it's just going to make things more complicated if we go down this road. That's not the case because the power still, as of now, is in the hands of the state legislatures. It is not via the state Supreme Court. That power in Article 1 um, is given to states to run elections free and uh, basically just free is what this, the, the Constitution says. And in cases where this has come up in the past, in North Carolina specifically, is that we go back and th this Golden Court case before that we, we, we followed and paid attention to and prayed for was, if you remember this, the North Carolina, this same North Carolina legis legislature uh, went to the Supreme Court and said, if the attorney general and those who are supposed to uphold the law don't uphold the law, can we uphold the law? Basically bring cases, go to court, and actually force the courts to make sure laws are actually implemented. The Supreme Court said yes. So in this instance, they're asking the Supreme Court to say, hey, this Supreme Court isn't really finding a, a legal reason to overturn a state constitutional amendment and the U.S. constitutional amendment. So we want to retain the power that is with, found within the Constitution, not just because of the whim and which way the wind's blowing. Now, on a historical note, um, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison thought this of judges. They thought that judges might act as the guardians of popular rights and might resist encroachment of these rights. But they never believed that judges had any special or unique power to interpret the Constitution. Um, in fact, they remained convinced to the end of their lives that all parts of American government had the authority to interpret the fundamental law of the Constitution, meaning that it's not solely up to just one arbitrary form um, of the three branches of government to decide how everything is run. Um, and, and this is where the branches of power need to be separated. Um, so hopefully this can come out. And the issue here is I just want to pray for the the Constitution and the, the, the founding principles to be upheld. And this goes back to a, a, a decision, a prophetic war so decision, that the thirteen, the original thirteen colonies had 
the opportunity to make uh, in the coming months. I believe it was Chuck who gave the word that the 13 colonies are going to be given the opportunity to restore the founding principles here in America with some things you saw in Pennsylvania, um, here in North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Georgia with some of the election interference stuff. And so now this is one of those cases. Uh, this is a golden court case to really to decide whether uh, we're going to have things be upheld the way they were originally intended to be for separation of powers and et cetera. Or we're going to continue to go down this slippery slope of changing times and laws um, so that things can be put forward um, by and, and be changed by people who are not elected to, to some offices. Because the issue here is in North Carolina, the state legislature passed this through the legislative pro- like they didn't they didn't break any laws doing it. They're looking at the census. They're they're voting the maps through. Democrats had the opportunity to challenge it. They lost because they didn't have enough positions in the state legislature. And so they got upset, and they, this is how they're going about it. So huge case, again, today being argued before the Supreme Court, something we want to pray about. Most likely won't hear about the results until most likely June. Um, so something that you will, we might touch on here and then once we hear some more reports of that from now uh, until June. So it's a long way off. This one to endure on um, and stay involved with um, within our prayer life moving forward. All right. And this affects future future elections here in North Carolina and throughout other states, even as the, the claim from the left here is that um, it will cause more harm than good. In reality, it will uphold uh, state constitutions and, and really the U.S. Constitution more so than anything um, above all. All right. So we see yesterday um, with the Senate runoff in Georgia that Raphael Warnock won by um, right around um, 100,000 votes. And one interesting thing about this is, you know, there was the warnings that Georgia might not know the election results the day of the election. They may go into Wednesday, but that... An estimated 3.5 Georgians voted in this runoff compared to 3.9 who voted in the general election. So you have almost 400,000, roughly, who did not get up and go vote. Just didn't vote. 400,000. Warnock only won by 100,000. How they would have voted? I, I, I bet... I have no inclination, no knowledge of this, but I, I, if, if I were a betting man, I would say that those 400,000 people were the people who voted for Kemp and didn't vote for Warnock in the governor's race. Some of them. I, it'd probably be split, but I would, I would say, I would say my inclination says that most of those 400,000 would be those people. That was, that was a big issue. That was going to be the determining factor is... Would those people who voted for Kemp get out and go vote? They didn't. They lost. Walker lost. He he conceded last night um, in a very polite, concise manner, as um, Loeffler did before in her runoff. And so now things are laid out. Democrats continue to hold a 51 majority in the Senate. If things were to go to a reconciliation process in the Senate, then they could pass whatever laws they wanted if Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema don't uphold things in the next session of Congress, as they have in the past, if they don't give in 
um, as Joe Manchin did in the past, yet to be determined. So, And the shining hope and light in this is that at least Republicans are controlling the House, and it's not all three, three houses, um, Senate, Congress, and, and the presidency that are controlled by Democrats. So at least there's that. That's the one uh, shining hope there. But this also makes, before and even after this Senate election runoff, this makes the lame duck session even more important. So with what they're trying to do with the um, government spending bill, the defense authorization bill, um, disrespect, same-sex marriage, and a host of other things, um, they're going to try to ram this socialistic Bernie Sanders agenda through during these next couple of weeks to be able to make sure they get something done because most likely come next year. They're not going to be passing too many things forward. And even um, McConnell was saying that they want to try to get some things passed through because he said we're at a pretty significant impasse. Uh, time is ticking. We have not been able to agree on top on a top line yet. I think it's becoming increasingly likely that we must need to we might need to do a short term uh, continuing resolution into the early year. And basically, he's he's trying to persuade Democrats to say, hey, you need to cave on some of this stuff because if not, uh, you're going to have to deal with uh, Kevin McCarthy and the new Republican majority in the new year. Democrats know they don't want to do that, but they also know McConnell will cave. <laughs> McConnell acts like he has a backbone, but in recent events in history have shown that he will not. Now, with that being said, today there is expected to be a vote this afternoon or more this morning going on in this afternoon, a vote on a bill that was put forward, the final version, was put forward last late last night. And I want to pull this up so you can see this in context of how large this bill is. I, I'm going to blow this up if you can see this. Okay, you can. So at the top left, if you can see the screen, there are 4,408 pages in this document that they submitted last night. And now... Those who are um, on the committee to approve this, to push this even f further to an actual bill, are going to have to go through this. Then senators are going to have to go through this, and they're going to try to vote for it on the, on, on the floor, House, etc., everything moving forward and moving at this at a very fast pace. This is how increases in just government handouts and, and, and alphabet soups and everything going forward get passed because of situations like this. Lame duck Congress. And so this is what we want to pray for. Pray for wisdom for both Democrat and Republican leaders because there's, I bet, I know there's things Republicans don't like. I bet there's some things Democrats don't like. And, and this is where McConnell is saying, look, we're, we're at an impasse. And yet they're trying to slam down a 4,408 page bill and obviously this is the, the, the same tune that happens almost every time we get in these situations. And Democrats know exactly how to use this in their favor. All Democrat Republicans are impeding this. Why don't we say, why don't Republicans say, no, Democrats are impeding this. They want to send this nation further and further into debt, and yet we don't want to do anything about it. They don't want to do anything about it. And, and so 
Both sides have an argument here. And so let's pray for emotions to be put aside, um, for politics to be put aside, and think of the 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 heart of this nation and the future of this nation uh, to go into this uh, moving forward as they look to vote on this, further this bill along uh, today. And they're, again, their deadline for passing a budget for the entirety of this nation for the government is December 16th. If they don't, the government will shut down. McConnell says, well, that's not good economically. That I think Trump showed that that's not necessarily the case. Things function just as is if they go on a strike or don't fund the government for quite some time. Um, are some people might be hurt? Yes, unfortunately, that's the case. But the reality is, is they could have done this six months ago. They could have done this a year ago when they should have. Um, and yet they didn't. They chose. To, they had control of both the House and the Democrats did, and they chose not to do anything. They chose to kick the can down the road, wait till there was a, a, a inflection pressure point, and now want to play politics on this. So that's where things sit. Um, one of the good things that actually come out of this bill is that the, the vaccine mandate will be removed um, from those within the military. Does that mean they'll be reinstated? Those who lost their jobs because of this will get reinstated. That the bill doesn't say that. Nobody's pushing for that. Uh, so something to pay attention to there. Okay. And then the last couple things is the Arizona election uh, challenges are now going to start to begin as cases are being filed from Carrie Lake. She thinks she has um, the winning case. The, the, only, the only question I have is, is in her disputes is what is the outcome? She wants to dispute the election because of some issues that happened. And they, they, it looks like they have ample evidence to show that. But w what is the outcome? Do they have another election? Do they try to find the people who went home? Like, there's a lot of scenarios that happened here that caused a lot of problems. Um, in reality, we're going to have to look at things moving forward in the future. Some Republicans are claiming and understanding that uh, now that ballot harvesting is legal in 39 of the 50 states, that... Uh, people need to Republicans need to start doing that. Lee Zeldin has has promoted that, um, and several uh, California Republicans have done that, done that in even this last election and won races because of it. And so there, the the thought is, and I'm not saying this is the right one. The thought is, well, if ballot harvesting is illegal, let's just get better at it and beat Democrats at their own game. Now, obviously, the intent would be to get back to removing ballot harvesting from being legal. Um, and removing universal mail-out ballotings and get back to day of voting. That would be the the best case scenario, but we'll see what happens. Something to say to pay attention to there. Okay. Now, last thing on the Twitter files. This is very, very interesting and something we need to pay very close attention to because we have prophetic on this um, with how this affects the office of the president and the pressures that are about to come on Joe Biden, his family, the administration, etc. So last night, yesterday, it came out that... Um, the former FBI general counsel, Jim James Baker, was involved heavily at Twitter to the point where he was the deputy um, general counsel for Twitter and involved in the vetting of the Twitter files between Elon Musk and um, Matt Tabia and Barry Weiss. This all, they only found out about it because Barry Weiss, former New York Times opinion journalist, um, was asking, who is this Jim? Because he was only putting Jim on his emails. And somebody responded, uh, unbeknownst to them, Jim Baker, just because they, they don't have anything to hide. And she goes, oh my gosh. 
um, her, she said her jaw hit the floor and now they're starting to come out and find out about it. And because of his actions of what it looks like scrubbing files, twi- the, the Twitter files of, of any ne- link between um, the FBI, any government organization, and Twitter from the FBI, the Twitter files that was being sent from Twitter, Elon Musk, to Matt Tabia and Barry Weiss, he has been fired. Now, talk about justice. We can't always say we want justice. You know, We can think how justice is going to come down, but it comes down in other ways. Again, this guy's been involved with the Steele dossier, Russia disinformation, uh, Russia Gate and all this other stuff. So he's been fired. And, and people are getting mad at Elon and Matt saying, oh, how did you not know this? How could you not know this? Look, it's hard to know every little detail. But the question is, is okay, if you didn't know about it, now that you know about it, what did you do about it? And Elon took the proper steps. And so on Friday night when they said, when Elon said, okay, things are going to come out by 5 p.m. Eastern time, it did come out for like three or four hours later. Because he was, Jim Baker was involved in trying to scrub the files um, and preventing things from coming out that obviously made him and the Democrats and the, and the president look bad. Now, also with that is some allegations coming out that there was a, and I've heard about this before uh, with Facebook, but specifically Twitter, is that there was a secret Twitter government portal where those with inside the government, CDC, um, other organizations could send in information secretly to people at Twitter to let them know what needed to be censored and not shadow ban, etc. All this stuff. And an organization called um, AFL, America's First Legal, uh, put out said that they found this information um, calling through 600 pages of evidence that is supposedly public knowledge that the CDC was involved in this, taking orders from WHO, other, excuse me, international organizations. And now the question is, what becomes of this? So just continuing to see the exposure on this, continuing to see the truth coming forward, I think is a good thing and will be beneficial and free speech in the future and really blowing up the the pushback from Democrats over the weekend that, well, the the one thing we know about this is that government was not involved. Well, the reason Matt Tabia didn't find any government involvement was because it was scrubbed from the documents that he was given. So that analysis is completely ill-founded from Democrats and something that is coming to light and hopefully more Americans can understand this. And even the news journalists at CNN, ABC, the mainstream media can realize it because there's a graphic going around um, from Fox News yesterday that showed over the up until yesterday, the between ABC, NBC, MSNBC, all these mainstream news organizations, a total of seven seconds was given to this entire story. Seven seconds over a, a matter of 48 to 72 hours. So this is... Um, mighty interesting to see what happens here. We'll continue to follow this, um, continue to pray for this Golden Court case and more v. Harper involving um, government overreach involving the courts here in North Carolina that have been honestly going on um, elsewhere as well. So we want to continue standing and praying on the wall uh, for those leaders who are in positions of authority in this nation. Oh, excuse me. Uh, and making sure that they have the fear of the Lord and can, as they're put in these positions, to lead this nation 
into a place of upholding the founding principles that are Holy Spirit inspired, and, and so that we can have the freedoms to be able to share the gospel not only in this nation, but around the world, so that souls can be saved. So with that, blessings, and we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.